of people who went against the grain. It was crucial to their future to be in the classroom. We're actually safer as a result of being in school. Courageous Leadership Through Crisis. Live from the Blue Bear Cafe, this is Voices of Courage. I'm here with Dr. Morrison with the Voices of Courage, and I just want to welcome her. Sure. Thank you for inviting me, Jaden. I'm excited to be here to talk about the Voices of Courage. Uh, I was going through COVID as the superintendent here in Mount Airy City Schools and found that there were a lot of people really stepping up and trying their best to get students back to school. There was a lot of fear and anxiety about whether we could do that safely or not. So I started writing down some of the conversations I was having with folks from multiple states, and we were all experiencing the same thing. Students were at home, uh, usually by the governor's orders, and we were trying to figure out how to come back to school safely. So I didn't realize this, but over two years, it turned into about 20 voices of courage of people who went against the grain, who might have been fearful, but wanted to come back safely and figured out how to do that. So I'm excited to share with you some of those uh, voices today. Well, thank you for being here. And um, can you tell us why you wanted to capture these voices of courage as you were um, leading through the pandemic? So I started uh, jumping in on some national Zoom calls, and there was uh, some students and some teachers and some superintendents who started really showing themselves as a courageous leader. They were beginning to work with all of their community and their board and all the politicians in their area to try to figure out how to come back to school. And so people were telling me that when you're going through crisis, your character's really uncovered. It's like you find out who you really are at the core. And I started writing down a lot of these um, interviews, I guess. They're just really personal conversations. And then on those national Zoom calls, I was able to reach out to people who might be at the U.S. Department of Ed or people who might be in government. Um, we got the Secretary of Education in Washington and I thought, gosh, I just need to capture this because it sounds like this is a historic moment that we're not going to be able to recapture again. This has never happened to us in our lifetime. That's a, I like that. Um, and why do you think everyone rallied around schools so much during the pandemic? So it was very uh, encouraging for those of us here in Mount Airy, and I think most people would say, in the first six months of the pandemic, everyone would call, text, everything. We were all at home, remember. You know, nobody was working and nobody was at school. They were saying, what can we do? So businesses were saying, you know, can we provide some PPE? So we had ordered that in March of 2020, and we got it really early before a lot of other communities did just because our community said, we can help this. We can, we can even make hand sanitizer. Um, there, you'll hear later in the podcasts from the health community, um, the health science community. So we had Duke University um, start meeting with some of the superintendents across the state, and they said, we can help you. We have epidemiologists who can be on call every week and show you how to come back safely. We just need to figure this out together. And so the parents were very positive the students wanted to get back to school, and so did the staff and the Board of Education. And I just really felt like at that time, 
It was one of the brighter moments in our history um, of the U.S. where everybody rallied around together. Uh, we know later on that it got a little political and began to change, but at the very beginning, we all had one shared purpose, and we all wanted to be that voice of courage. Okay. Um, what was one of the um, trends that the leaders you interviewed shared? So a really big one that everybody mentioned first was you had to really know why you were doing your job. Why are you doing it? What is your why? And we had to dig deep because we didn't have any choice. My why was students, every single child. We knew if children weren't in school, they weren't getting meals. They might not um, be able to allow their parents to go to work because their parents were having to stay home with them. They didn't have access to their friends. I was really worried about their mental health. Um, we could just feel the fact that they were out of school a lot more than just summer break. It was about six months um, between March and when they came back later um, that fall in 2020. And, you know, it was just um, a time that I had to dig deep and say, do I want to keep doing this job? If you remember back then, there was a lot of fear that the virus was going to really um, kill people, you know, that they were going to get it and they were going to die. And in our community, we did lose some former teachers and a lot of colleagues and friends because they weren't sure how to treat the virus yet. So that panic and fear had to be weighed against, do, do I want the children back enough to where we're going to fight through this and have some courage? So I spoke to a lot of superintendents, and many of them decided they needed to just get out. It was too much. So we had this mass exodus of a lot of superintendents, and I don't blame them for that, especially if their community wasn't rallying behind them. But a lot of us dug deep and found that our why was not only just children, but really deeply their well-being, their family, you know, making sure there was child care, making sure they got a good meal. We even took um, meals and hot spots and computers and everything out to their homes at first to see um, if they could continue to learn at home. And when we discovered that it was really difficult to learn remotely, um, we were the first district in the state to come back five days a week face-to-face -face in August of 2020. I bet that took a lot of courage and just a lot of bravery to make sure it was all right. I think everybody had to have bravery. The students had to have bravery to come back. The staff, as well as our Board of Education voting unanimously to do that, and then our community rallying around that. Now we can look back and say it was the right decision, but at the time we weren't sure. And by Christmas, we really only had, I think, about 15% of the students who had chosen to stay home still and learn remotely. Almost everybody came back. We wore masks. We uh, distanced ourselves. We cleaned surfaces. We didn't use large areas such as the commons area or the cafeterias. Um, we didn't use the playground equipment a lot. So at first we were super cautious. But one positive case walked in, I remember, at the middle school, and then no one else caught it for about two weeks. And we thought, okay, this is going to work. We were pretty excited. So if understanding your why is so important, then how can leaders develop a deep understanding of their own personal why? So I think you have to look at your core beliefs. So if you believe every single child can learn, Every single child deserves access to an equitable education. 
how do you know that, right? Do you teach to every single child? Have you differentiated your entire school to make sure all children are captured? Uh, you know, do you make sure that there's a group that every child can connect with? What about a caring adult in the building? How do you know? Test your why. When you're getting ready to go through crisis, you'll lean on it. The only reason you keep doing it is because of the children. I mean, I can remember when the children walked back into schools and the staff and the administrators and myself, we were almost crying because it was like they're back and they're safe and this is going to work. And we've done it before anyone else. And so there were a lot of different groups around the nation that began to do that as well. Um, and in this podcast series, you'll hear from a large group in Texas who even defied their governor's orders and came back, brought everybody back with masks and stayed in school. So, you know, once you figure out if that is your why and you've tested your why, you almost need to clarify that and say, what about children of poverty? Are you going to support them? What about children who really struggle with learning disabilities? How are you supporting them? Saying that you believe something is deeply your why and actually showing it in your actions is how you really get a deep connection with what you believe in. Um, Dr. Morrison, is there anything else you would want our podcast audience to know about the Voices of Courage series? Well, I'm excited to hear. Uh, from the different voices that are in my white paper. Uh, we have epidemiologists from Duke University, Dr. Benjamin uh, Cumming, and some others um, who led a collaborative across um, many states during this time. We have the U.S. Department of Ed Secretary's words, um, different people from within North Carolina, such as Wake County Superintendent. But we also may have someone from uh, Florida who was a superintendent there. And what I found pretty exciting is that the trends were common. Everyone that I interviewed, from a state superintendent here in North Carolina, Catherine Truitt, to the U.S. Department of Ed, to a local student um, in Tennessee, who I feel pretty excited about, um, who stood up to those people that disagreed with him so that we could do the right thing. Uh, I'm just pretty excited that we all had the same trends. And when you begin to unpack these trends, the first one and the most important one is why are you in the job you're in? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because in the end, that's all that matters. You are doing it for the right reasons, and uh, the universe will conspire to help you do great things for others if you understand the why that is driving you.